Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. You can know God deeply and live differently by studying His Word and discovering God's truth for yourself. You are listening to a series called Jesus' Message to the Seven Churches that goes through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. And now, here in episode 5, let's get into the church at Pergamum. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, National Director, Precept Ministries International. You are tuned in to another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast, where we go verse by verse through the scriptures, and we are currently looking at the seven churches and the book of Revelation. This is a ministry of Precept Ministries International, and if you are being impacted by this podcast and learning from it, as well as learning from your studies, consider going over to our website and clicking the Donate Now button to support Precept. We would very much appreciate that, and we run our ministry on donations, so we're th- very thankful we can serve in Canada with the people who give on a regular basis to our ministry. Also want to let you know that we are continuing to offer workshops in person and online with more opportunities to do in-person workshops in the fall. You can uh, email training at preceptministries.ca if you would like to host one of our many training workshops in your church. We would love to come and uh, serve in that way. Let me pray, and we're going to get right into uh, this week's episode. Father, we do thank you for the time that we have. We thank you for this tool. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can use the skills of observation, interpretation, and application to walk through uh, these verses in the book of Revelation. Lord, I pray for our time together. I pray for our hearts, that they would be softened to what you are going to say, that your spirit would uh, move and convict in our hearts in areas in which uh, we need to be challenged to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh man, this week, this episode is what we call a doozy. Does that show my age when I use things like the word doozy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, probably my daughter, if she heard this right now, she'd be rolling her eyes. Uh, gee whiz, dad, doozy is such an old term. But anyway, this is a big one. This, uh, this is a challenge uh, this week. Even, even uh, as I was studying and preparing, and, and this is my fourth time through these letters to the churches and, and teaching them to various groups, it just hits you again and again uh, through uh, this uh, church that we're going to look at. But hey, let's backtrack a little bit before we get into this week's church. We started this uh, whole series, this whole uh, time in seven churches of Revelation, looking at an overview of chapters one to four of Revelation. We then went into chapter one and we studied the description of Jesus, uh, where he was standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands, holding seven stars, and he had a message to the seven churches. And uh, we have looked at the church at Ephesus. We have uh, looked at the church at Zmurna and this week, we're looking at the church at Pergamos, all right? So uh, we have labeled these churches uh, so far all the way through. We've, we've called the church at Ephesus 
the backsliding church. Uh, last episode, we looked at the church at Zmurna, and we called them the suffering church because they were suffering well for the gospel. This week, the church at uh, Pergamos is the worldly church. All right, so we're going to be looking at the, the worldly church uh, this episode. How fun, right? Let's look at the church that is dealing with worldly issues within its walls. Uh, there is absolutely zero application for us today in this, isn't there? I mean, when you begin to think <clears throat> about the, the, the worldly things that are happening in our culture today, are we not seeing this, what we would call this creep, this, this creep of moving things from the world, teachings from the world are entering in through the front doors of the church. And these things that are being taught in the church now uh, come from worldly principles more than they come from scriptural principles. Oh, come on. Give me, give me an example, Mark, where there might be some what we would call mission creep. All right. Mission creep is while we focus on the gospel, that's our sole mission or <clears throat> our sole purpose. This is all that we uh, need to do. We need to teach people. We need to make disciples. But then little things of mission creep. And we've talked about this uh, in previous podcasts in the same way that Satan says, does God's word really say that? These are questions that now come up in the church. <clears throat> they are things that uh, look at redefining uh key principles of scripture. All right. Um, I got an email about this once right from the podcast said I was beating uh, a dead horse when it comes to uh, the true definition of marriage. Well, what are we seeing from the world creep into the church? We're seeing an agenda that says uh, where the Bible says man and woman shall become one. No, no, no. That's not that's not the only way now that we can define marriage within the church. Uh, marriage can can be in some churches in our country, uh, man to man, woman to woman. This that's just some of the things that are being taught. Uh, what about boy and girl? All right, so male and female. God created man. God created woman. Oh no, can't. That's not the sole way of what is there now. Things begin to creep in with uh, gender fluidity. Oh, sex and gender are two different things. And I got to be careful. I'm not going to go on my, you know, step up on a soapbox and spend the whole time focusing on this. But what we're looking at is we're looking at even in today's church, when we compare to the church of Pergamos, there is this creep. And the creep is that the worldly things, the worldly teaches, teachings are coming in through the doors of the church, and people are grabbing onto these things, and they are running with them, and essentially uh, trying to infect all of the other believers within the church, all right? This is not new, all right? What we're seeing in our culture today is not new, and it has been happening for thousands of years since the beginning of the church. We can see that in all of the letters that Paul wrote uh, to the churches where he addresses uh, people adding things to the gospel, changing the teachings, or trying to uh, make people do things 
like works for salvation. All right. Now we're going to look at this uh, Pergamus church. All right. Let me give you uh, just a definition of worldliness for a minute. Uh, worldliness is the preoccupation uh, with something or being more interested in temporary systems or things far above placing greater interest in the things which are eternal. All right. It's a preoccupation or it's focusing on things that are temporal versus focusing on things that are eternal. All right. The things that are of the world. Uh, Peter tells us they are temporal. Why? Because they'll all be burned up and they'll be destroyed in the day of God. All right. So the church is the church that we see today, the church that we're going to be looking at. We're seeing this. There's a focus on the temporal versus on the eternal. All right. Church, there are churches that are even in our country that are around the world that they are so focused on ensuring that they are meeting all of the requirements of fitting into the world that they're not paying attention to the biblical warnings about being intertwined with the world. All right? This church that we're going to look at today is taking one step further than the church at Ephesus. All right? If you remember the church at Ephesus, that church had lost their first love. They'd lost their focus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. They were doing the church in Ephesus, remember, they were doing a lot of great things. They were guarding their pulpit. They weren't allowing false teachers to come in. They were paying attention to what the sheep were feeding on. And they were ensuring that no false teaching was entering into the building. But <clears throat> that became their focus more than it did for their love for Jesus. It became uh, ritualistic. But here in the church at Pergamus, it's one step further. It's one further step down the road. And you know what? If Ephesus did not repent and return and take heed to the words of Jesus Christ when he said, repent and come back to your first love, that the church in Ephesus could be in the same situation that the church at Pergamos is in right now. So one step down the road a little bit further. All right, here's the background. We're going we're gonna to continue to build off our pattern uh, for for the churches, we're going to look at the historical background, where what it looks like, what was happening in that part of the world, the description of Jesus, the commendation, the reproof, and then the promise to the overcomers. We'll add the action in there, too. We don't want to forget five things we're looking at in every letter. So don't forget those things <clears throat> as we work our way through. All right. Here's some background. Uh, modern day uh, Pergamus. All right. Is modern day. Uh, Bergama, Turkey. All right. So this church is located in Turkey, and this area was one of the most important centers for learning. All right. Medicine was studied here, uh, and there was a sanctuary uh, for worshiping the false god of healing, Asclepius. I think I pronounced that properly. Uh, if I if I butchered it, well, it's a false god. It's okay. All right, Aclepius was uh, his name, and that when you look at some of the medical 
uh, images and logos of today and you see that they have a snake intertwined into them, this comes back to the time of uh, Pergamus. This uh, god, this false god Asclepius, was uh, pictured after a snake. So, so he's the god of healing. So people went there to study medicine. Uh, it also had the second largest library in the ancient world. The only bigger library was found in Alexandria in Egypt. All right, just like the previous church we looked at, this area also famous for its emperor worship. And it had a temple dedicated to the Emperor Augustus. And there was what they called an altar to the uh, to Zeus, the Greek god Zeus, as well as they worshipped Hercules and uh, others. All right. So uh, a lot of uh, false idol worship, emperor worship, uh, all happening in this location. As, as I like to say to my kids on road trips. Fun fact, <laughs> fun fact, how, how boring, right? Fun fact, parchment got its name from Pergamus. Uh, parchment was a manufactured material from sheep, from their skin, and the name uh, came from this location. Uh, the Greek word for parchment is pergamina, which uh, comes out of the root of Pergamus. So it was, they're not sure if it was invented here, but it was uh, manufactured there, and therefore the name comes from the location it was made. All right, this church also probably <clears throat> came into being through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Pergamum uh, was on the route to Troas, and so when Paul would travel, on his uh, missionary journeys, he would uh, travel close by to Pergamos. All right, all kinds of false worship. That's that's the real <clears throat> main focus that we want to pay attention to uh, here as we mo move through. And we're going to see when we get into the text uh, some key points that Jesus points out uh, in the scripture about this false worship. Okay, now let's let's get into the text and let's look at the description of Jesus, all right? So we've gone through the background of this worldly church. Now let's look at uh, Jesus and his description. All right, here we go, verse 12, chapter 2. Uh, and to the angel of Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Ooh, okay. So we don't even get to get very far because we automatically are just looking at this one sentence and the description. Jesus says to himself, I am the one, all right, this is what John wrote, I am the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay, so we've, we've heard this before. We've heard two-edged sword in other descriptions of the Bible. Well, it also is found in uh, chapter 1 as a part of the description of Jesus. And he tells us in verse 16, In his right hand he had seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So uh, you see the addition that comes here. It says in verse uh, 12, it says, 
uh, the one with the uh, two double-edged sword says this, but in chapter one, it tells us where that sword is. It, it comes, from, comes from his mouth. So what we want to do first is we want to just sit and define what this uh, sword is. Okay, so uh, this is not uh, Jesus describing himself in military terms. Okay, this is not uh, as though he is holding a sword in his hand, a two-edged, a double-edged sword in his hand. Uh, that's not what that is. It is that the sword is coming from his mouth. All right, so I want to look at a couple uh, passages within uh, the Bible to help us better understand this. And the first is uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12. So Hebrews 4, uh, verse 12, also mentions uh, the two-edged sword. And he says, uh, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge and the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, now, this is really cool. I mean, I just get, like, I want to jump out of my chair when I start to read uh, the, these verses, okay? So, uh, he says in Revelation, I'm the one who has the two-edged sword. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16 tells us that the sword of the mouth. And then in Hebrews, he tells us that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, but look what it does. The word of God pierces uh, as far as the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And what does it do? It is able to judge soul uh, of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, so uh, we're going to keep building on this for a minute, but but what we're looking at is this two-edged sword coming out of the mouth. All right, have you have you started to conclude what it might be? Are you paying attention? Let's go to Ephesians chapter uh, six, verse seventeen. So in Ephesians chapter six, verse seventeen, listen to what Paul says. Uh, he tells us in in the uh, armor of God. You know, put on the armor of God. And he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, so uh, the one who has the two-edged sword, where's the sword coming from? In Revelation 1, coming out of his mouth. Uh, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. What can it do? It can pierce and it can it can judge. All right, let's look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, where, where some of this originates, okay? So uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 4, uh, it says, But with the righteous... He will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with what? With what? The rod of his mouth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This Okay, like, are you jumping up like I'm jumping up? This is absolutely amazing. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Sounds like a sounds like a battle. Sounds like a sword. What's he gonna? What's he gonna do? He's gonna uh, afflict the earth with the rod of his mouth. Okay, let's go and and final uh, cross reference on all of this to pull us all together. Revelation chapter nineteen, uh, verse fifteen, and this is what the text tells us: From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Sound like Isaiah? With a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the God of God the Almighty. So what we are looking at here, when Jesus introduces himself and he says, I am the one who has the uh to the sharp two-edged sword. What he's referring to is he's referring to the word of God. And it's by the word of God and the words that will come from his mouth that he will judge. So the whole context of this entire letter to the church at Pergamos is one of judgment. The sword is God's word. It comes from his mouth. It judges the nations. This is the first time that we are going to see in these letters to the churches that this is sort of a negative description of Jesus. Why? Because the church is facing judgment. This church was so close to compromising the word of God and forsaking God for inclining themselves, partnering themselves with the world. Okay, that's what I want us to to really see here is that when Jesus is doing an x-ray of this church, when he is looking at the heart and soul of this church, he is seeing that this church is headed in the wrong direction and that Jesus is about to show us the commendation. He's going to show us the reproof. And he's going to tell them how to get themselves right. But what he says is, I'm the one who is going to judge. And he's going to use the word of God uh, to do it. All right, so now let's look at the the commendation that comes uh, from from this church. All right, here's what he says. Uh, He says, I know where you dwell, uh, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you uh, where Satan dwells. Okay, so let's look at the positives here first. All right, so Jesus says, um, well, he knows where you live. (laughs) Uh, where, Where do you live? You live where Satan's throne is. Okay, so we'll we'll come back to that one in a minute, but uh he says, but even though where you live, you hold fast my name. Uh what does that mean? It means that this church no matter no matter what they were up against, uh people in this church did not deny their faith. Uh they did not depart from the central truths of the Christian faith, meaning they held firm to the gospel and they did not sway to the right or to the left. There were people that were standing firm in the truth of the gospel, regardless of where they were living. This is good. This is a a commendation that people were holding true to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the environment in which they lived. Think about it. They were living, as Jesus described, where Satan's throne was. Uh, It also tells us that this is the place, in verse 13, where Satan dwells. So both times in that verse 13, it says the word dwell. Who dwells there? Well, the people of the church live there. 
uh, that's where they abide. That's where they, they are. But who else does? Satan. Satan also dwells in this place, and his throne is there. All right, so there are multiple reasons why uh, John may have used this or Jesus may have described in commentators' uh, debate on the reasoning for uh, saying that it is Satan's dwelling place. But all of this revolves around idol worship. Remember, when we were talking about the background of the church, we were talking about the idol worship. Everything surrounds this idol worship. It was a place filled with idol worship. Worship to gods of medicine, worship to emperors, worship to all kinds of different false idols. But in the midst of all of this uh, idolatry, there were people in the church who were standing firm. Uh, What is even more important in understanding is the very fact that some scholars believe that it was called Satan's dwelling place because it was Roman ruled. And if you were to uh, depart or not heed the commands to worship the emperor, you were executed. All right, so that's one reason and more probably one of the likely reasons of why the word Satan's dwelling place and Satan's throne was here is because it was one of the major cities that were competing. We talked about that last episode where they were competing to be one of the top places and capital cities of uh, the Roman Empire. And so uh, they would kill Christians. If Christians stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ and they held fast and they didn't bow in emperor worship, they were executed. And so uh, that's one of the, the many reasons that uh, this could happen. Now, look at the, the other part of this uh, verse um, 13. All right, I'm going to read it to you again. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas. Uh, Look what he calls Antipas. He calls him his witness, his faithful one. And it tells us he was killed among you where Satan dwells. All right. So Antipas was uh, used here. And the purpose for his name popping into this letter is the very fact that he is a fantastic example of one who did not compromise their faith in Jesus Christ to fall into the path of being worldly and worshiping false idols. All right? He is the example of remaining faithful even to death. And let me tell you, he did not have an easy execution. Uh, what they they did was they would take they took Antipas and they put him into a bronze bull. And, and this bronze bull had hollowed out horns on the top. And they, they put him in there and then they set him on fire. And the purpose of the horns was so that when he would scream in the suffering in that fire as he was dying, that the echo of the screams would go out through the bullhorns for all to hear the one who denied worshiping the emperor, denied worshiping false gods, and stood true 
to their faith in Jesus Christ. There was This was an execution with a purpose to scare everybody else into becoming more worldly. And you know what Jesus says? He says uh, he's his witness. Uh, the word witness from the Greek translates to martyr. And so he was faithful uh, in dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He stood firm. All right, this is not only a positive for this church that you are standing firm like him, but it's also a kick in the teeth for those in the church that have allowed worldly teaching to come in. (laughs) Why can't you stand firm? like Antipas did, the faithful witness and the the one who held true right to his death. Some of you in this church have compromised. So uh, this is absolutely a a beautiful thing here to say some of you are like Antipas. You've done so well, but it's also a rebuke to those tempted to compromise to the world. All right, so let's keep working our our way through here. We've got we've got the the commendation. You know, you're standing firm, you're holding true, and we've got uh, the location. Man, in the midst of Satan's dwelling place, this place of false worship, you are holding true to your faith. Well done. And now we are going to look at the but. Remember, uh, the word but always has uh, either something good or something bad after it. So we've seen the good, uh, and now we're going to get the bad. He says, I have a few things against you, uh, because you have there uh, some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Uh, So you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Okay, so uh, let's pull these apart uh, one by one. We'll look at uh, the Balaam aspect first, and then we'll draw into uh, the Nicolaitans. All right, so there are a couple issues in this church. All right, so Jesus says that many in the church, you are running well, you are holding firm, you are standing firm in your faith in the midst of a very difficult environment to do so, but some of you have compromised. Some of you have partnered and become more worldly. Uh, He uses the example of Balaam. Uh, Balaam uh, taught Balak, who was the king of Moab, And he taught him to put a stumbling block before Israel, which was to lead them into sin. And he did it for his own personal gain. Uh, The stumbling blocks that were put before him were uh, revolving around eating food, uh, sacrificed to idols, and practicing sexual immorality as a part of idol worship. The result of this uh, Balaam and Balak leading people astray, the leading God's people uh, astray, God judged and killed 24,000 people for following this false teaching. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, which I want to uh, draw our attention to, Acts chapter 15, 
uh, this is not just an Old Testament problem. It's also a New Testament problem. In Acts 15, uh, the apostles determined to make statements regarding uh, these very things, uh, immorality as well as uh, food sacrifice to idols. In Acts chapter 15, verses 22 to 29, he said, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send uh, to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas uh, called uh, Barsabbas, and Silas leading men among the brethren. And they sent the letter and they said, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch, Syria, uh, Cilicia, who are from, Gent- from the Gentiles' greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave uh, no instructions have disturbed you with their words, upsetting your souls. Uh, false teaching. Uh, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind to select men to send to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good uh, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. (laughs) These are the most important things. Yo, Gentile church, pay attention. Listen to what's happening. Uh, You are to abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. (laughs) This, uh, the letter, the letter is simply this. Don't eat. Don't participate in anything sacrificed in false worship. And don't get involved in fornication. Bye. That's the end of the letter. There, there's no more to it. Don't do these things. And if you don't do these things, you will run well in your race for Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, it also tells us in the book of Jude. Uh, the book of Jude talks about certain people who, who crept in unnoticed. And these people were gathering in their love feasts, and their sole purpose was to disturb and disrupt with false teaching, false teaching for sordid gain. And Jude says that they rushed headlong into the error of Balaam for pay. Uh, So what you have here is you have uh, people in this church at Pergamos that are holding to the teaching regarding that you can participate and keep practicing immorality, that you can, no problem, eat animals that have been sacrificed to false gods, Uh, get involved in, in the sexual orgies all you want, and then, hey, I can still go and worship God when it's time to worship God. (laughs) <laughs> These people wanted to have uh, their foot still in the worldly things, right? The, the great feasts of uh, eating off the sacrifice of idols, still participating in the sexual immoralities and, and the things of the world, and then yet go and worship God on a Sabbath. <laughs> uh, wow. Think about that. 
uh, they wanted to still participate in all of that stuff and then show up on the Sabbath and make their sacrifice and their worship and do all of these things uh, the way that they would, right? Think about that for a minute. Hmm. Pause, ponder. Does that happen today? We, we may not see large groups of people practicing this in large swaths, like hundreds and hundreds of people doing this, but what about as individuals? What about as individuals? Do we see people in the world who still want to hang on to the, the things that they had before Jesus Christ, hold on to the sexual sins of uh, the past, and they want to keep on doing the things that make them have instant gratification in this world, the things that are temporal versus the things that are eternal? Absolutely. Continues to happen. Happened in the church then, happens in the church now. There are people that are straddling the line, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And let me tell you, you cannot serve two masters. And I'm not telling you that. Jesus is telling you that. You can't serve both the world and serve Jesus. Impossible. Your heart can't be split in two. That's why, back to the Ephesus church, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Do you see why this is one step further? This church just didn't lose their first love. There are people that are saying that they are Christian, They're, that they are followers of Jesus Christ, yet they still have their foot in the world, and they're participating in feasts, pagan feasts, and sexual immorality, and yet showing up to church on Saturday or Sunday, whatever putting on their Christian hat, and then going back out into the world and being worldly during the week. Can you see why Jesus, when he does an x-ray of this church, and he says, wow, some of you are holding firm, and you, some of you are standing, and you are just not denying my faith, but there are some of you that still have your foot in the world. There are some of you that are practicing false worship and eating uh, food sacrificed to gods, and you are practicing sexual immorality. This is what is referred to as the teachings of Balaam. Now, let's, let's go to the Nicolaitans. All right, uh, Nicolaitans, they get their name from Nicholas. Acts chapter 6 Uh, Nicholas was one of seven men who were chosen to distribute food amongst uh, the the widows and the the people of the church. If you remember, there was uh, the apostles dedicated themselves to the teaching of the word, and they chose men to do the service. It's, It's sort of where we clearly see within Scripture in our spiritual gifts workshop, there's two, two clearly defined gifts, a speaking and a serving gift. Uh, Nicholas, okay, so uh, some people, there's multiple views of uh, how the Nicolaitans came about, but there's not a lot of information in God's Word about the Nicolaitans. But some some say that uh, Nicholas, uh, he apostatized, and he denied the truth, and he began to lead his followers 
into pagan worship and sexual sin as well. The biggest purpose in all of this, okay, so we could spend all this time trying to figure out where there's not a lot of information to clearly define what this is. We just know that Nicholas had followers. These followers uh, were led some way, somehow, into the same issues when Jesus talks about uh, the teaching of Balaam. Pagan worship and sexual sin. That's why they're clumped together as the uh, with the same uh, in the same time frame of uh, the reproof, because they both fall into uh, this sexual sin and pagan worship. All right. So just to just to draw back to this, okay, just to pull us all together into these churches, and remember, this is one step further down. That church in Ephesus. Don't forget this. They were known for protecting the people from false cheat teaching. They didn't allow uh, false doctrine to enter, and they removed it. Uh, they had people who were trying to corrupt the church, but they they didn't allow it in. But this church, they did not do what the church at Ephesus did. They allowed this to creep in to the church, and because it creeped into the church— now Jesus was looking at them and describing himself as the one with a two-edged sword coming from his mouth, judgment. All right? So that's why they're one step down the road further than the church at Ephesus. They did not protect the sheep. And so therefore, some of the sheep have gone astray. Here's the uh, warning and the instruction that comes uh, from Jesus to the church, the the therefore. He says, therefore, repent. Okay, so we're not even going to go any further than that. Uh, repent means to take a 180 and go in complete opposite direction that you are going. Repent of your sins, get rid of the junk, and keep pursuing Jesus. <laughs> um, you can't have the best of both worlds. It's impossible. All right? It, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, in my house, uh, we have times where, you know, our son, he, he expects, uh, our son has autism, uh, but our son expects that when he wakes up every day, that he's going to get his way with the world. He looks out and he goes, it's raining. I don't want it to rain. And so he begins to freak out about the fact that it's raining. I just want the sun back. I just want the sun back. I just want the sun back. And and Jessica and I are like, oh, we, boy, we would love to have sun back too. But uh, we, we've taught him how to use the weather app now. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Now he looks at the weather app and goes, oh my goodness, it's going to rain on Thursday. And he starts um, having kind of an anxiety on Monday. It's going to rain on Thursday and there's no sun. But here's, here's what we start doing. We, we start singing a song to him. <laughs> no, no, we don't start singing uh, the Annie, the sun will come out tomorrow. No, we tried that one. Uh, it didn't work. But what we do is I start singing to him, you can't always get what you want. But you can try sometimes. <laughs> no, no. The, what Jesus is saying in the scripture is you can't have both. You can't have what you want all the time. 
And so you can't have one foot in the world if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants all of your heart. He wants all of your attention. He wants all of your devotion. He wants all of your love. He does not want you to be preoccupied with the things of this world, the things that bring you instant gratification. He wants you to be focusing on the eternal. And you know what? That's really hard sometimes. And then that song comes out. You can't always get what you want. You're right. What do you really want? Do you want eternity with Jesus Christ or do you want instant gratification right now? Jesus says, repent, return to me, come back to me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What what happens if you don't? He says, I'm coming to you quickly. If you don't repent, I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. God is going to take all of those actions of those who are falling into the errors and the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans and those who have one foot in the world and one foot uh, focused on Jesus, the one who is allowing the, the worldliness to creep into the church. And he says, I'm coming to make war with you. And I'm going to line everything up to the word of God. And I am going to judge. He's doing an x-ray. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your soul. He's looking at the things that you focus on. He's looking at the desires of your heart. He's looking at your focus. He's looking at what you put attention to. And he says, repent. You can't have the world and me. It's one or the other. I'm going to make war with the sword of my mouth. God's word. Let me, let me walk you through a few passages where, you know, uh, just don't take my word for it. Let's just keep looking at God's word and seeing what God's word has to say uh, regarding these, these very principles of foot in the world, uh, foot in the kingdom of God. All right, John chapter 15, uh, verse 19. Here's what uh, uh, John wrote. Uh, He says, if you were of the world, okay, uh, Jesus, writing for Jesus, if you were of the world, uh, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And we looked at that last week as well in in the suffering church. You're hated because you love Jesus. But look what he says. He says, you're not of this world. You were chosen by him and taken out of this world. This isn't your home. This isn't your final resting place. You you are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ because you were a child of God. The things of the world are all temporal. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 12. uh, He says uh, in verse 11, for the grace of of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, uh, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, 
looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Where's your attention? It's not on ungodliness and worldly desires. Our attention is looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your head is up. Set your mind on things above. Uh, deny the worldly desires. Uh, don't, don't focus on them. Get rid of them. Be paying attention, uh, looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans um, and widows and their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. All right, so there is some actions that need to be taken, uh, but don't be stained by the world. Don't let the world infiltrate your heart and mind and take over when you should be focusing on the coming and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't let the world infect you. Uh, John, James chapter 4, uh, verse 4. Uh, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't have both. It's impossible. If you are a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God. That's That, that couldn't be any more clear. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 15, and verse 15 to 17. Listen to what he says here. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Are you you picking up what God's Word is laying down here? That you cannot be friends with the world. You cannot pay attention and keep one foot in the world and try to pursue Jesus Christ with all, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's absolutely impossible. You cannot serve two masters, which is a phenomenal study that we have um, in our Bible study materials. Pick it up. If you're, if you're being challenged with, you know, I, I want to get both feet pursuing after Jesus Christ, pick it up. Go on our website, preceptministries.ca, and study it more in depth. Challenge yourself to grow deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ that nothing in the world is greater desire and greater passion because you know that all those things are temporal and that your job is to focus on the things that are eternal. All right? This is, this is so important. This is why you and I, all right, you and I need to know God's word. We absolutely need to know 
exactly what God's Word says, not just for the purpose of head knowledge, but for the purpose of heart transformation, so that when false teachers, because folks, false teachers are creeping into our churches all the time. False teachers are getting into the pulpit, and they are spewing their teaching out, and it is not aligning to God's Word, and we need to be able to know it, and a red flag needs to be raised so that we can either walk out of that church and not participate in it anymore, or raise a red flag to the leaders of the church so that it can be dealt with properly. And this church here, that's the problem. Nobody was dealing with the false teachers that were bringing in teachings that were corrupting people. Do you see the difference between this church and the church at Ephesus? This is as much about ensuring that you and I are people that are not pursuing the things of the world, but also ensuring that proper church discipline is taking place that does not allow false teachers to have a voice and infect the body of Christ. Know God's word. Know what is true. Know what is false. And then pray and have the courage to say something and do something. And if no action is taken, well, you got to figure out the next steps. And it very well could be finding somewhere else to go and not allowing that to infiltrate your heart and your mind. You see why this is so convicting? I mean, we haven't even gotten to the promise yet. It's so convicting because God's word, what does it do? It pierces to the heart and to the soul. It's the Holy Spirit right now, maybe as you're listening to this, working in your heart and showing you things that, man, I got to get rid of that stuff in my life because those are things of pursuit of the world. I can't focus on those things. Oh, wait, maybe somebody in my church is teaching something that is leading people astray and the Holy Spirit is leading me to do something about that. You got to continue to pray and ask God to give you clarity on all of those things. Let the Holy Spirit continue to work in your life. But most importantly, if you are being raised up, things are becoming red flags for you right now that you know that you are pursuing things of the world more than you are pursuing the kingdom of God. You just need to stop. You need to get rid of it. You need to cut it cold turkey. You need to consider it to be like garbage day. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts because it is so vital. Garbage day is the most important day of the week. Why? Because you get rid of all the garbage in your house. You leave it at the curb. The garbage man takes it away for you to never be seeing it again. And that's what needs to happen if you're pursuing things in the world. You need to bag it up, take it to the curb, let the garbage man take it away for it never to be seen again. Pursue Jesus with all your heart. He says, repent. And if you don't repent, I'm going to make war with you. I'm going to make war with the sword of my mouth. What's he going to do? He's going to judge. And he's going to see whether your heart is truly after him. And if it is, the promise. And if it isn't, there is a promise. But look what he says. And it's so, so valuable when we see in verse 17, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, I don't know, reach up to your to the side of your head. you have an ear? Do you have two? If you have two ears, Jesus is saying, pay attention. Hear this. 
pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to you right now. Don't ignore it. Don't walk away from it and deal with it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on it, which no one knows but the one who receives it. Okay, well, there's a couple things we want to look at in this before we wrap up. Manna, we know from uh, the book of Exodus, was provided for six days for the people of Israel while they were in the desert. God provided enough manna on the sixth day that they would have enough to pick up on the sixth day for the seventh day. Why? Rest on the Sabbath. And he continued to provide these spiritual blessings from, from heaven. This, this food that they could live off well in the desert. What did the Israelites do? They complained about it. Oh, give us some fish. Hey, let us go back to Egypt and we can, we can enjoy the buffet in Egypt because we were eating all kinds of great stuff then. <laughs> what, what are you seeing right there? World versus blessings from God. Hidden manna. All right. What did John say? Uh, Jesus say in the book of John, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. He who partakes of him will have eternal life. See the promise? If you overcome, what do you have? Life. You have eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, the temporal things, you, you're dwelling in the house of Satan, in the throne of Satan. You're in the midst of false gods. Don't let that infiltrate your heart. Pursue Jesus with all your heart. What's the reward? Eternal life. Uh, he also talks about a stone. All right, so scholars, they talk about uh, many different interpretations of this stone, but the, the most likely um, kind of explanation of the stone was the stone, the white stone, was given out uh, among the Greeks as a sign of victory. Uh, it was one who would be given this uh, stone that would allow them to, to enter in to the uh, victory, celebration, and feast. Does that fit what we're looking with? Does that fit with what Jesus is saying? He who overcomes will be given hidden manna, the bread of life. You'll have eternal life. And the stone with a name written on it, we don't know much about the name, but if the stone was a symbol of victory, it is given to the one who overcomes. The one who crosses the finish line and finishes well. The one who will spend eternity in the mansion that Jesus went ahead to prepare a place for us. Uh, the place where uh, golden streets with the river of life flowing and there's no need for lights because Jesus is, is on the throne ruling. Uh, we're talking about the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, eternal life. You see, the opposite of this is keeping your foot in the world is being destined for the lake of fire. Uh, one promises life and victory, and the other promises death and permanent suffering. Friends, what, what, what do you want? I mean, the decision is clear when we look at the Word of God. Uh, it couldn't be any clearer than it is right now that you cannot love the world 
and love Jesus. You have to choose between the two. See why it's convicting? It's time to get rid of all of the stuff that has your heart. The things of the world that you would rather pursue versus the things of Jesus. It's time to dedicate your entire life and focus everything you have on securing victory. Of persevering and overcoming what is to come. And let me tell you, looking at the culture that we are living in today, looking at what is happening in some churches where all of this false teaching is creeping in and we're in, we're in this real battle for truth. I mean, I've been talking about a battle for truth with precepts for, for seven or eight years. That we are in this battle for truth and, and we need to stand firm and hold fast to the truth of God's word. And I've been through the, book, the rest of the book of Revelation and I tell you, that this is nothing in comparison what will happen with the truth of God's word, with what will happen in the final days before the Son of Man returns in the clouds. It's nothing. What we're seeing now is only a small snippet of what is to come in the attack on truth. We need to know the word of God. We need to keep our feet firmly planted in his truth, like some of these people in this church. Even in the midst of Satan's dwelling place, you have held fast to your faith and you have not denied Jesus Christ. Hold fast. Stand firm. Don't be that worldly person don't be a part of the, the worldly church that wants to have a foot in both. Just go after Jesus. Seek him with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for the truth. Lord, these are easy principles, yet very difficult to apply. Lord, we've been told over and over, it doesn't matter who the speaker is or the person teaching, there's this continual challenge from the pulpit and from the, from the airwaves or whatever matter of um, communication is happening that you can't serve both the world and serve you. We hear this all the time. And so this is a truth that we know with our heads. But Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring true conviction into all of our lives. That we would understand the seriousness of pursuing you. That, Father, we would be people who are uh, people of courage, men and women of courage, who will not allow false teaching to infiltrate our churches that we will not allow false teaching to infiltrate our hearts. That we would stand firm and not deny the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would keep our eyes set on the things that are to come. The coming of your kingdom and not the things that are temporal. Work in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We are so grateful you joined us in today's episode of Unlocking the Truth, the podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website, presetministries.ca, to get more details on the 2023 Holy Land Tour and be sure to register for an upcoming summer workshop, whether in person or online. You will find one that best suits where you are in your precept journey. Know God deeply, live differently.